0: Welcome back once again, everyone, to another episode of The Podcast Was Good, a podcast on the Crimson Quarry Network. I am your host, as always, Jacob Rude. Joining me, as always, Austin, uh, Bud, how are you doing this wonderful, it feels fallout, this wonderful fall evening?
1: I'm, I'm doing all right, man. I think the weather's finally breaking here in Indiana. It's, it's feeling nice outside. There's a lot going on with IU Athletics. It's... An exciting time of year. It is. I actually I saw
0: the discussion on Twitter, and I'm going to get your take before I give mine. Somebody said that October was the best best month for sports. Um, you have NBA starting, MLB playoffs, NFL's in full swing, college football's in full swing, uh, MLS playoffs if you're into soccer. Is October the best sports month?
1: I think that if you're into a lot of different things, then it absolutely is. Because even on top of what you just said, I mean, you've also got um, the NHL starting. You've also got uh, Premier League and Champions League soccer. You've got international friendlies going on, I think, at some point. It's... Yeah, I, it's it's hard to beat that if, you know, you're at the buffet of sports and, you know, you're trying to get a little of this, a little of that, a little bit of everything. Now, if you're exclusively a college basketball fan, then it's got to be March. See, March that, is probably was, the uh, best. Yeah, be-
0: that was what I said.
1: Yeah, March is the the, be- the biggest competition for October. Um, Personally, I'm more of a baseball guy um more of a football guy. I mean March is a special month, but at the same time it's also just the only thing that's really meaningful going on in March is the NCAA tournament. I'm going to stick with October just because I like the the variety of things. Um I I do get March though. March is a good answer.
0: So yeah, I would say March. You have obviously March Madness which I think objectively is like the best. I don't even know how to quantify it. Like that month of conference tournaments and NCAA tournaments is just so much fun. Um, I want to watch, I want to consume every basketball game during that uh, about two week stretch, three week stretch. Uh, the NBA is still going on for those that care about that, wrapping up the regular season. Baseball's starting now, now that they move the season up. And then soccer is in America is starting, the MLS. It may start in April, but either way, you have preseason. And in Europe, you're in the really big games at the end of the season. I would argue March, just because March Madness is so much fun. Um, Though a lot less fun when IU is not in it, which... We are not going down the basketball rabbit hole yet. I know Archie's talked. I know they've had media day. You cannot force us to talk about basketball yet because...
1: Yes, if, if you want basketball talk, please follow one of the wonderful student reporters that cover the team. Go go find your, your IDS guy. Go, go figure out who those people are. I've, quote, tweeted them a lot. They're very good. I I don't want to talk about Hoosier basketball.
0: Not yet, at least because right now.
1: No, 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 not yet.
0: Yeah, right now, IU football is still fun, even if they're frustrating, which is basically the only way we know IU football. Um, obviously, I'm sure anybody listening to this knows. Last week, uh, last Saturday, it's the same old song and dance. <laughs> It's frustrating to talk about, but uh, Indiana goes up to Michigan State and looked incredible offensively and struggled something fierce defensively. They lose 40-31, to a bit misleading because of the late touchdown. Um, we're going to do this how we did last week. Austin, what is your one big positive from uh, the game?
1: I think that I'm going to leave you with the obvious one. You can have the obvious one, big positive. I'm going to go with Wap failure. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he was fantastic. I, I said before the game, I tweeted before the game, that I thought Wap would be a big piece. I, I thought that he was the guy that was capable of making the one big play, the two big plays, whatever that Indiana would need to separate themselves from Michigan State. And he made some big plays. He, he ended the game with, 14 catches 142 yards and two touchdowns and he was just a a reliable piece on that offense that they could go to when they need play where they could go to to you know keep on track with the offense keep on schedule and he's a guy who you know has had ups he's had downs but it seems like he might finally be turning the corner this season this might be his season to break out and become one of the best receivers, one of the bad, bigger offensive threats in the Big Ten. So I'm just, I'm really excited about Watt.
0: Um He has very quickly emerged as Michael Penix's kind of safety valve, a um, release valve, I guess. The, he was absolutely tremendous. He was the beneficiary a bit of some of the um passes into the flat that i u did a bunch, which uh we'll talk about, but um he was just unbelievable um and we talked about this uh this receiving core uh coming into the season during the season this is a really deep receiving core um perhaps one of the best in the big ten i don't think it would be too much of a overstatement, and...
1: I don't think it's a stretch.
0: Yeah, and he was the best among them um, on last Saturday. Um, Certainly worthy of of one big positive. Obviously, I think um, the biggest positive is Michael Penix, who um... (laughs) I'd seen a couple places. I actually ventured into the comments section, which I always encourage you not to do. Um, I, I ventured in there, and I saw a couple suggestions that we were, we had been a little too rough on Peyton Ramsey. Um, maybe that was the case. This performance on Saturday is why we had the mindset we did, because Penix is that guy. And I said that um in the in my recap after the game for all of the frustrations I'm very glad that we did not do this podcast right after the game because I would have been way more frustrated. I somehow every year I let myself get excited and optimistic and I get let down every year. Um but what was increasingly obvious on the day was Michael Penix is legitimate, and he is, I think, head and shoulders better than Ramsey. And with him, IU has a chance. I don't want to say to beat anybody, but we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have been anywhere near that game with Ramsey at quarterback. Which, again, as we said, Ramsey is perfectly fine in the right type of system, but in what IU wants to do. Penix puts them over the top. Um, what did you just kind of take away or think about what he did on Saturday?
1: Well, I wrote about it in uh, my my column from the day after the game. I kind of let things marinate, and then I went through and I, I wrote a column, and I I could not be more optimistic about. Michael Penix as Indiana's quarterback. I I mean, that was a tremendous performance from him. I I think that I wrote, and I I do believe that he's easily the best quarterback that the Hoosiers have had since Nate Sudfeld. I don't think that's much of a question. I I think that he has the potential and the trajectory at the moment to, potentially by the time that he's done playing for IU, be the best quarterback since Antoine randall L, which... I, I that's that's a big thing to say because of the place that Randall L holds in the program's history. But if you watched it on if you watched Michael Penix on Saturday, I think that you understand why. You know, I I, I kind of think that because he was just he could do it all. He he made all the throws. He you know that was a very passing performer him. The, the kind of passing from a Hoosier quarterback in years.
0: Um, I think the thing that is important as well is, as you said, he made all the throws, and there were a lot of different ones to make. Um, maybe the most memorable one is one that he didn't make, the one to uh, the deep ball to uh, Ty Freifogel that was, or I'm not sure, maybe it was Fillier. No, it was failure. The long ball that was inches away when Fillier had gotten behind the defense that would
1: have
0: it um, would have broken the game open. I think IU had a three-point lead at the time.
1: Um, yeah, that was like the one big smudge on the day for him. Everything other than that was amazing. That one throw, people will remember it. But Ed, yeah, he just he just overthrew him a little bit. But other than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um he made all of the throws. He made short throws, intermediate throws, uh downfield throws, um timing routes, um out of the pocket. I mean, everything you would want him to do, he did. Um and I mean, again, that was against we talked about it last week. At the time, they were the best defense in the nation. I think they fell down to second. but
1: Yes, Wisconsin's number one now. And I'm
0: sure we have them later in the season too. Um, the, so to do that against that type of defense as well is, I think, the biggest reason why um, you should be optimistic about this team right now. Um, we, once the new S&P came out, IU's going to be favored in the next four games. Um, a couple of them are narrow favorites, um, but favorites nonetheless. And I, off the top of my head, could not tell you a time during the middle of Big Ten play that IU was favorites for four straight games. Um, a large part of that's due to the just horrendous divisions and the balance in the divisions. Um, But still, it's huge. This team, I think even in the loss, probably improved in this uh, against Michigan State. Um,
1: I want to mention one more thing before we we move on from the, the positives. It wasn't my big positive, but it was still something that was impressive Michael Penix was only sacked once. Yeah. One time by Michigan State. And that's huge because when you've got guys like Kenny Willikis and like Raquan Williams and like Joe Bakel and like, you know, the number one defense with a tremendous front seven and this and that and blah, 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 and all of these different accolades that those guys have, the offensive line was pretty sturdy in pass protection. They weren't perfect by any means. They gave up one sack. And you know I would have expected more pregame. I would have taken the over on a few different numbers there. I wouldn't have expected one.
0: Yeah, you could have... I don't know how high the number would have been that I wouldn't have taken the over. Um, Which, I I had one more positive I wanted to talk about, um, which kind of goes hand-in-hand with Penix and, as you mentioned, the offensive line. Um... For ninety percent of this game, I thought Kalen DeBoer called a great game. Um, I think he did too. The and I think one of the big things that IU did on Saturday were, were as we mentioned, those pat those kind of quick passes out to the flats, which really kind of serves as another form of a run game for this team. Um, the offensive line struggles. Continue they. I mean they didn't struggle as much at least pass protection on Saturday, but they struggled in the run game and instead of beating your head against a wall and trying to run up the middle again and again um they just did those kind of real quick passes out to the flats get the ball into your receiver's hands um We've mentioned how talented they are and those plays continually get, got you know three four five six yards of Positive yardage, which is as good as any run as you're going to have. Um, what did you see from, I mean, do you agree? Do you, do you think DeBoer called a great, uh, a good game?
1: I, I think he did. I mean, there were obviously a, a few plays here, a few plays there. Nobody's ever going to call a perfect game. Um, there were a few decisions that, you know, I, I remember, I know that a lot of the fan base was, you know, not supportive of, a handful of decisions that DeBoer made throughout the game. Um People were pretty vocal about that. But all in all, for the millionth time, I, I don't know if I can say this enough, Kalen DeBoer is head and shoulders and torso and waist and knees <laughs> and ankles, feet, toes, everything above Mike DeBoer. Just the offense looks so much better. It's called so much better. It's executed so much better. It's just... I find it hard to complain about Kalen DeBoer after watching Mike DeBoer for what felt like eight years when it was probably two, three? I think it was two. Um, Felt like eight or ten or 20.
0: Yeah, there there were a couple head scratchers, um, and unfortunately it was in some of the bigger moments. I... I love the call very early in the game. They went for it on fourth down. I loved the call to go for it on fourth down. What the play call was was really odd. It was a Samson James kind of motioned down the line and then came back across as kind of a weird kind of sweet type of handoff end-around kind of, I don't know, it was really odd. It lost yeah, a bunch they, of yards. It they wasn't got a too good cute
1: call. with that yeah yeah no that was that was way too acute. They overthought it
0: yeah um and then there was a sequence in the third quarter um where I got to the red zone. I think they got in a goal line situation and didn't throw a pass into the end zone um and as you said, it wasn't a perfect game, unfortunately, and when you're trying to upset a team like this especially when you're IU, you pretty much have to call a perfect game. Now, at the same time, you could just as easily look at if Penix doesn't overthrow failure, like we said, by centimeters, he hits him in stride and we're up 10 late in the second half. We're not even talking about those um, those plays that didn't go our way, um, which kind of shows the fine margins of this game and when you're trying to upset a team on the road. Um, so, but yeah, overall, DeBoer, I think DeBoer calls, called a great game and DeBoer and Penix are perfect tandem. Penix is a perfect quarterback for what DeBoer wants to do. And Saturday was the, the best example of that. Um, biggest negative. I only wrote one thing down. I'll go first on this. I just wrote down the defense. And I know that yeah. there Yeah. Yeah. I know that there were a couple different guys that played well. Man, that defense got sliced up by a very um average quarterback three. yeah.
1: Yeah, they got they got sliced up by three jars of mayo and a trench coat.
0: Yeah. That was a very average offense at best. We had talked the week or going into the week they hadn't really done a lot um, there were some suggestions that made figuring things out i i u they may have figured things out in that game, but i u made it pretty easy to figure things out um, there was just so many things that were frustrating about that that offense. I think
1: that I think that the biggest one. For me, as far as frustration with the IU defense, the, the play that's going to stick in my head, that's probably going to stick in a lot of people's heads, is the dropped interception by Brian Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. He was home free. If he catches that ball, that's six. Um, maybe, maybe he doesn't deserve for that to stick with him for a while, but it probably will. Other than that, he had a decent game, but if you want to pull an upset against a ranked team... You have to catch that and take it back to the house. It's just one of those things you know
0: there was another penalty um in the fourth when it i u had gotten a turnover um that extended Michigan state's drive and they ended up getting a field goal um which again, this is kind of the theme but the the margins are fine are very fine when you're trying to upset a team um, that you can't afford to give give things away. Lowry finished 18 of 36 for 300 yards and three touchdowns. I think the other play that's going to stick out, um, he rushed for 78 yards, and I want to say 30 of them were on that final rush, basically, um, where... A player that has been a had been a kind of a staple since he stepped on the campus on the defense, Marcelino Ball. He struggled this year and one of the only times he's really made a tackle is tackling Lawerky at the one yard line when in reality he should have just let him in. Um which it it's re it's tough to I'm not ever gonna blame Marcelino Ball in that play. Um because it's in the moment, you're not thinking, let this guy score. You're thinking, stop him from scoring. Um, but yeah, in hindsight, he should have let him score. It looked like the next play, IU was going to let them score, but Lowry just knelt um, to center the ball. So it's just those types of things that are just... It's the gaffes that are so frustrating that um, that make... I mean, Pennix was unbelievable, and it comes in a loss because the defense just couldn't get a stop all day, it felt like. <clears throat> the The last thing, I think, to touch on about this game, I think it, <laughs> and as much as we talked last week about, and this week about how this is the same old song and dance, the same thing we talk about every time after this doesn't go our way Is how important it is to build off this. Um, even in the loss, there were so many positives, but none of them really matter if this is the aberration and not the new norm. Um, how does IU, in your opinion, how does IU make this the norm and not let it be some type of exception this season?
1: Well, I think that, you know, it's, what you have to do is you've got a bye week this week. You go into this bye week, you, you get whatever rest you need, you get whoever healthy that you need to get healthy. Coming out of the bye week, you have Rutger and it's homecoming. You come out, you take Rutger and you grind them into a fine paste. Just absolute, just go ballistic. Beat them 52 to nothing. Put the gas pedal all the way through the floor. Don't let up in the fourth quarter, and just keep the momentum going from there. I mean, like you said, Indiana's favored by SP plus in its next four games at the moment. Win those games. You might not have beaten Michigan State, but you can still carry some momentum from that Michigan State game. You can still learn things from that Michigan State game. And you can apply them to the game sitting right in front of you, which is what you need to do if you're an Indiana team chasing bowl eligibility, chasing, you know, some kind of relevance on the national stage. You you, you have to learn from it. You have to utilize it. You have to actually just go out and, and do the thing. Go out and win a football game. Go out and win two football games, three football games, whatever, you know. Just don't let a loss a disappointing loss to a michigan state team turn into uh blowing a game against Rutgers, or you know losing three of the next four when you were favored in all four of them losing two of four don't let a snowball go out there and build off of it like you said
0: in some regards it's both a positive and a negative that Indiana has the bye week when it does um it, I mean, I think it's a negative because they played so well that you don't want to stop um, when you have something good going. But, I mean, I think I could just as easily spin it into a and in that they're going to be able to sit back now and have the message that you said kind of preach to them for two weeks. They can look at how good they were against a good Michigan State team um, and realize how good they can be. In theory, if they win their next four games, they're going to go into a game against Penn State at seven and two. Um I will never count my chickens before they hatch with IU football, but Winslow I don't think I could even name you the last time IU was seven and two. Um and that's a big opportunity for them. So I think having an extra week where they can kind of process everything that happened and realize the the situation they have in front of them um, could be a good thing for them. Um, if you're looking for other positives for, for why this could be different, the teams in the past have not had Michael Penix at quarterback who... I'm with you. I think he is probably the best guy we've had since Sudfeld. Um, And he has all the potential in the world to be one of the best at IU. And, I mean, (laughs) some of what Tom Tom Allen said was kind of cliche, but that video that IU football put out after the loss, the we're here to stay video, that got me fired up. And I'm not even on the football team.
1: Yeah, no, that I'm trying to figure out how to like. I'm thinking about like maybe printing out the tweet, and, and I, I'm trying to figure out how to snort it. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's still a work in progress. That um, all I know is that uh, that I need that tweet to be in my bloodstream somehow. Uh, we'll figure it out. We'll have uh, we'll have development and research look into it.
0: We'll give you guys an update next week on how it went for us. I do yeah. have
1: one last thing. Yeah, I, I've got one last thing on Indiana football, because with Indiana football we have to end on a negative note, because, well, that's the history of the program. <laughs> but where in the world is Nick Westbrook? Nick I tweet, Westbrook. I tweeted that had, during the game. He had three catches for 103 yards against Ball State. Since then... He had three catches for 31 yards against OSU, two catches for 32 yards against UConn, and two catches for three yards on Saturday. Two catches, three yards. The guy who was supposed to be your number one coming into the year, your senior leader, your whatever, two catches for three yards against Michigan State. I just, it doesn't, it didn't make much of a difference, I guess, because you still have Wop Fillier and Donovan Hale and Ty Fryfogel and Peyton Hendershot and David Ellis and blah, 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 blah. But Nick Westbrook is a guy who's been known to be a potential game breaker over the last however many years, and he's just kind of fallen off the map. I mean, it's... Kind of, just, it's an interesting thing to me. It's, I guess, it's a negative, but it's just kind of weird. It'll
0: be interesting to look at because I did, I kind of look at it in two lights. He's, he, he, he did come in as the undisputed number one this season. Um, you could argue that two of those, two of the last three games have been against, uh, I would say elite defenses, Ohio State and Michigan. Um. And I would assume that their number one uh, defensive backs are on Westbrook in both of those. Um, and I guess the argument you could make is that the receiving core is so deep that you don't need to force passes to Westbrook when Wap Fillier, like we talked about, to kick this all off, is open, while Donovan Hale, who reemerged on Saturday, is open. Um, Ty Fry Fogle Hendershot, like you said, all these guys. Stevie Scott caught handful of passes, um, so you don't need to force the ball to him. But yeah, it'll be. I'll be a little more concerned if moving forward he still isn't um, featured because I mean Rutgers going to have a an awful defense. Um, some of these games coming yeah, up. Yeah, no,
1: there's there's yeah. no reason for Nick Westbrook to not thunder dunk. Rutgers CB1 into the earth's core. I'm assuming that that dude's name is like (laughs) Vinny Lozano and he works part-time at his parents' pizza joint and he also just plays corner on the side. Um, Nick Westbrook should like make a backflip catch 360 something and score three touchdowns because there's no excuse for your – number one wide receiver to not have a good day against Rutger.
0: Yeah, so for now I I agree, just kinda of put it as something to note. Um but yeah, if it continues it'll be interesting to see. Um I'd have to watch the tape to see if it's a matter of them just not going to him or what, but it, it is interesting to note. And I noted it during the game kind of early on before um WAP failure really started going off. But yeah, no, I agree. It is Something to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, That is all for football this week. Uh, After the break, we will come back and talk a couple different other sports. So, in lieu of previewing a game, because IU has a bye week, there is no game to preview, um... We're gonna talk a little fall baseball um, because the baseball team had a uh, scrimmage against a uh, travel team, the Great Lake Canadians, um, and it is a, I would say, a drastically different roster. They had a record number of draftees in the summer, spring slash summer. I think it was thirteen.
1: I believe so as well. That sounds correct.
0: Um, so it's an entirely new-look team. That's on top of the guys that graduated and whatnot. So I'll start off with this. Who were some of the guys that we know coming back to this year's uh, baseball team?
1: So you mentioned the the 13 draftees, and the guys to watch are going to be the guys who got drafted and decided to return to IU. So uh your, your two big names, I guess, this season will be Colbar and Elijah Dunham. You should be familiar with them. They're, you know, two big bashers, huge bats in IU's lineup. Um, they, they're kind of the guys to watch as far as, you know, uh, MLB prospects moving forward as well as just leaders on this team in terms of the offense um, Drew Ashley is another guy. He's in the same class as those two. Um, that trio of juniors, I think is really, really good. Um, Ashley, a little bit of a different player. Uh, if you're not familiar, he's kind of a utility man, leadoff hitter, kind of just a, a do it all. He's good at everything, not great at anything. Um, so I, I think that those three are kind of like the, for now, the, the holy trinity of the IU lineup. Looking at next spring, uh, those are the guys, those are the should be the familiar names from last year.
0: So in accordance with losing a whole bunch of talent and players, uh, it's kind of similar. We talked a little bit about soccer. They not only lost players, they lost really good players. Um, your Matt Lloyds, um, who I believe him and Saul Frank uh, both were all Big Ten. Um guys like that, you're you're losing out on big, big pieces to the team. Um, so when you're losing guys like that, you're bringing in a ton of young guys, which seemed to be kind of the theme of the night was how much was IU kind of showcasing all of its, uh, its young talent for the fans.
1: Yeah, so um, on Tuesday, like you said, they played the Great Lake Canadians, and the Canadians are an 18U travel team. So it's not like Mercer was going to walk out the starting lineup because you're playing a bunch of kids. So it was kind of just like a, a perfect built-in kind of freshman night. We saw a lot of freshman arms, we saw a lot of the young guys just out there kind of getting their their first reps, their first, you know, their first whatever. We um I wrote about it in my fall notebook on the site. Um, I also talked to Coach Mercer, so if you haven't read that, go check it out. A lot of good stuff in there. Um, but the short form is uh, Paul Tates is a guy who played shortstop in the second game of the doubleheader against Great Lake. Um, he has a lot of upside, a lot of potential. He played a, played a good shortstop, also had a few good knocks. Um You also, uh, the big theme of the night for me was the young arms, um, because, uh, you you mentioned that they lost a lot of guys, but last year's team's entire starting rotation is gone. Saul Frank Milto and Tanner Gordon are all professional baseball players now, which means that this year's pitching staff, uh, it's basically penciled in as a big question mark. You know that Tommy Summer and Gabe Bierman are going to be important somehow maybe they're your friday saturday guys um i don't know but you look at some of these young guys uh you, you look at a david platt who th- was hitting 93 94 might have even gotten up to 95 on the gun um on tuesday that's a big piece potentially um, you he's look a at freshman a
0: freshman too, I believe, isn't
1: he? Yeah, no, true freshman. Yeah, no, wearing the cream and crimson for the first time, going up on the bump. Um, he's like 18 years old, throwing 95 miles an hour. That's that's serious juice. He um mm-hmm. he had, as any 18 year old throwing 95 would, uh, he he had a few cases of you know times where he would miss his spots. Little, not like, you know, not like Ricky Wild thing Vaughn control issues, but not perfect, which once again, any freshman, if you get a freshman who throws 95 and perfect, you stole him from a major uh-huh. league organization. Yeah. Um, but, um, David Platt is a guy who, uh, kind of jumped out. Um, AJ Hacker is another guy who jumped out. He, he came from Kentucky. He was, I believe, Kentucky's Mr. Baseball last year and he was just, he wasn't lighting up the radar gun. He was sitting around 89, you know, might have been 88, might have been 90, just kind of sitting in that range. Um, but he was making the pitches he needed to make to get outs. He got some strikeouts. He looked really good. Um, Nate Stahl is another guy. He started the first game for the Hoosiers and he faced six batters struck out five of them, got the other one to fly out. I, you can't ask for much better than that. So I, I think that those kind of – the young arms are the most intriguing parts of the team right now just because kind of the pitching staff is a bit questionable. Um, another young guy who I haven't mentioned yet somehow is the guy who might be in the starting lineup from day one, Ethan Vakrumba. He was um, a star at Edgewood High School in Ellettsville. uh Southern Indiana folks will – Be familiar, I'm sure, Um, but he's just kind of a kid who can do it all, plays the outfield, hits for power, has tremendous speed. He might be the fastest guy on the team. Uh, He, In high school, he skated by with having elite athleticism, which isn't something he's going to be able to do at IU, but I think that with the coaching staff that Indiana has, he's going to develop really well. He's a guy who turned down the Atlanta Braves, I think, to come to IU. Uh, And it wasn't just like, you know, he wasn't a 35th round pick. I think they were offering to take him in the fourth round, if I remember correctly, and he told them no. So that's kind of just a a brief overview, I guess, of all the young guys that the Hoosiers have brought in. Um, There are more guys. There's a lot of interesting prospects in this pool of young guys, but those are the top ones.
0: The one other you touch on most of the things. I thought the pitching was probably the biggest thing to touch on. The other thing that I think is at least an an intriguing or er, er, position to look at um, is catcher because IU doesn't have one returning from last season. They, uh, Feynman graduated. Um, the backup Wyatt Cross graduated, and then the backup's backup transferred. Um, so, what is the catcher spot going to look like?
1: It's really interesting because if you look at the history behind the plate for Indiana over the last 8, 10, 12 years, it's been really consistent. You've got your your Josh Fegley's, uh, you've got your Kyle Schwarber's, you had Brad Hartong mixed in there, you had Ryan Feynman for the last four years. So it's kind of been a position where the Hoosiers have had really good players recently. And despite the fact that it's going to be a new face back there this spring, I I think that there are some really good candidates. Um, Indiana brought in a transfer from Western Kentucky named Colin Hopkins. Uh, He started the first game of Tuesday's doubleheader, and he looked really solid all the way around. Um, Maybe nothing special, but definitely good enough to contribute. He hit a a couple of balls pretty hard. He, he, he the, the defensive play behind the plate was really good all day long. Um, I actually got a really good quote from Mercer about that. Um, apparently Justin Parker was overjoyed with the, the play of the catchers defensively. Um, another guy is going to be John A. Logan, Community College transfer, Hunter Combs, um, like Hopkins. He was good defensively. He had a couple of knocks, you know, swung the bat fairly well. Um, one thing I noticed about Combs was that he actually moved pretty well. He like, he's not the the slow, you know, the the big plodding catcher. He, he's not an absolute unit. Kind of a kind of a taller guy, but he can run. Um, so he took what should have been a single, stretched it to a double, and that kind of rang a bell in my head. I was like, oh, that that's interesting. Um,
0: You don't see that out of a catcher normally.
1: No, no. Catchers, I I think that the only catcher that I've seen turn singles into doubles in the last however many years is Joe Maurer, and that's a special dude right there. Not to say that Combs is anything like him, but it's it's a rarity to see that from a catcher. You see more
0: catchers turning doubles into singles than singles (laughs) into doubles.
1: (laughs) No kidding. Um... Then the third guy is a true freshman from out in California, Brant Voth. Um, he's a guy who I liked a lot when he was in high school. I thought that he was one of the more intriguing prospects in this class for Indiana. He can do it all. Uh, I mean, he's got a great arm, uh, got a lot of power at the plate, uh, left-handed bat, which, you know, you, you like to see. Uh just all around a really solid player i I thought that I thought, and I still think that he has a really good chance to start from day one, despite the fact that he's the youngest of the three. He's a true freshman, like I said, uh Combs, I believe, will be a junior this year, and Hopkins might be a senior. Hopkins was a late addition to the roster, so still getting used to the names and faces, uh especially his but i I think that Indiana right now. Having seen one fall ball game, looks like they have three pretty good options at catcher. So it should be interesting to see how that battle kind of shakes out. And if it's anything like last year, we saw a lot of Wyatt Cross. Um, I don't think that Mercer really likes to overwork his catchers behind the plate. He doesn't want to have one guy out there catching 45 games or whatnot. Um, so we might see all of those guys throughout the season. Maybe we see them DHing. Maybe we see them, you know, rotating behind the plate. Uh, I'm not really sure what that's going to look like. I don't know if the coaching staff really knows what that's going to look like yet because it's still so early. But and there's a lot of reason for optimism as far as the situation of catcher goes.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, they do have um, a fall ball game on Saturday uh um, at- I believe 1 p.m. Um,
1: yes, the, first pitch no, at 1 p.m.
0: Yeah, here I, it, the, a pair of seven inning games. Um, so yeah, it's a bye week. If you guys aren't doing anything, it, the fall weather should be really nice. Uh, it should, it's wanna, supposed to be
1: a beautiful day.
0: Yeah, if you want to get out, stop by um, stop by Coffin Field and uh, and catch some of the new look uh, IU baseball team. Um, we will we may talk a little bit more about them next week, but um, come springtime we will obviously be talking about them a lot more. So one other thing to note as we started last, um, we told you we would do a men's soccer show. We're going to save that till next week. Um, we wanted to talk about fall ball, fall baseball, since it was um, happening right now. Um, so again, we'll go. A lot deeper into the soccer team next week. For now, um, we'll talk a little bit about their past week, where they got two more wins. Um, they kept a clean sheet against Sacramento State, one one nothing, and which is, uh, I think, only their second clean sheet of the year. And then that was last Friday, and then on Tuesday they pick up a Big Ten win their second of the year 3-1 um, what stuck out to you about those uh, those two wins
1: honestly it's the same thing that stuck out to me this whole season uh, anybody who's been following my, my soccer coverage on our site on my Twitter account has to be getting tired of it, it it's the freshman man it, it's just it's all about the freshman for me it's Joshua Penn, true freshman, scored the game winner against Sacramento State. Maloon Gumbale, true freshman, had the assist on the game winner against Sacramento State. You look at the Northwestern game, it's Gumbale again who put the Hoosiers up 1-0. Then Northwestern hits an equalizer, and then it's Josh Penn who hits the, you know, the shot to take the score to 2-1. Maloon Gumbale was the guy who had the assist on the shot to make it 2-1. And then you'll cherry on top the the goal to make it 3-1 was another true freshman Aiden Morris and he was assisted by Maloon Gumbale. It was actually a really great week for Gumbale. Just a really great week for the freshmen. They've all been playing really well and it's it's not just those guys. I mean, it's also Victor Brazera. It's just there's a whole conglomeration. This entire freshman class has been astounding so far this season and i'm excited to see you know how far they can kind of go as a team how long they can stay here in bloomington how long they will stay here because i guarantee that at least one of them will be gone after this year to go pro um and it'll probably be a case kind of like the um The, the class of 2016 that had Mason Toy and Justin Renix and, uh, Griffin Dorsey where Toy came through and he was the guy who had the big year. So he went pro right after his freshman year. And then, you know, you had the Dorsey, Renix, Muse who all stayed for a sophomore year and then they followed him a year later going pro. So I, this freshman class is just outstanding, truly. Um, I'm kind of running out of, Positive things to say about them because I've been singing their praises for two months now.
0: The uh, again, we'll, we'll dive a, a bit deeper into them as we talked about last week, and as you can tell by uh, how much we're talking about a freshman class, this is a really young team. They only have four seniors on the team um, and a whole bunch of fresh, a whole bunch of freshmen. And all, they're a good chunk of them are contributing, um, and not in in big ways and getting on the score sheet, um, things like that. So, um, it's actually a, another big week coming up. Um, they go to Penn State on Sunday. That'll be on BTM Plus. Um, so odds are not many people are going to be able to watch that. But Wednesday, they play uh, at home against Kentucky, uh Indiana's biggest rival. Um Kentucky ranked number nineteen. That game's gonna be on F S one. Um so that is a primo opportunity for fans to get a look at this IU soccer team that's young. It's exciting and as Austin said, um odds are odds are high and increasing that this freshman class um some of them could be one and done um, in Bloomington. So catch them while you can. Um, we will dive in next week, um, most likely right after that Kentucky game, hopefully right after a win, um, and, and talk about um, that team next week a lot more in-depth and also preview IU football. So uh, looking forward to that again tune into this team. They're a ton of fun. They're young, uh, easy to root for. And they're still, I mean, they're ranked, they quote unquote fell to number eight in the rankings, but they're still a top 10 team. Um, and nobody else, at least right now in the big 10 is ranked. So they're still going to be the favorites, um, in the conference. So, uh, For now, that will do it for Austin and I. I forgot to mention at the top of the show, but um, I appreciate all the support you guys have given uh, downloading the podcast so far. Um, We're still kind of feeling our way through it a little bit, getting a little better each week, we hope. Um, Hopefully a little easier to listen to each week. And this is uh, definitely the longest episode we had, but um, it's also the most fun football game we've probably had this season. So... Um, if you can, leave us a rating and review Helps out a ton um, We want to keep bringing these to you guys Each week um, We're just about anywhere that um, You listen to podcasts We're on iTunes, Spotify um, We're on Megaphone The Just tune in um, Just about anywhere you're going to find podcasts We will be there Uh, We should be able to be found on on all of those platforms. And if if we aren't, like we said last week, let us know. Um, But, yeah, rating and review helps out so much. Uh, We greatly appreciate it. Um, And we will be back next week to talk some soccer, some football, and some football. Um, So for Austin, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one, everybody.